Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope that you are all well. Before I get started, I would like to give a special shout out to the Patreon members. Tavia S., Victoria Dyer, Tina Mee, Nancy Wallace, Mana Ash, Interscare Wifey, Felicia Scott, Cindy Cleveland, and House of Jen. The other Patreon members will be listed right here on the screen. Thank you all so much for becoming a part of the new membership. If you would like to become a member right here on YouTube, or join the Patreon family, or if you would like to support a content creator and buy me a coffee, all of that information can be found down below in the description box. If you are new here or have been here and haven't done so just yet, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and join Back to Ashes family. Also, make sure to set that notification bell to all so you know every time I upload a video. And if you'll do me a solid and hit that like button, it lets the YouTube algorithm know that you love listening to this channel. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For when we arise from the ashes, we are bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm, and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Disturbing Police Horror Stories. Right after this intro, an ad will play. I'll read the first story, another ad will play. After that, there will be no more ads within this video. Disclaimer, some of these stories may contain material not suitable for all. Listening discretion is advised. Not a cop, but a contractor for cleaning up dead bodies. My high school psych teacher told a story about how he got a call to clean up a suicide in Louisiana, I believe. He shows up to the house with his partner and gears up in a hazmat suit and head up to the attic where a man killed himself a week prior via crossbow. Upon entering the room, he was hit with a wave of moist, pugnant corpse air and even through the suit it made him wrench this guy sat on a box and held the crossbow out in front of himself and pinned himself to the wall with a bolt through the head as they started removing the crossbow bolt his severely bloated body exploded into a giant slop covering both of them in weak old Louisiana guts needless to say he chose a different career path.
Not a cop, but a former officer at the law told me this years ago. I will let you decide if he's full of shit or not. The officer had responded to a parent's call to arrest their son, whom they were convinced had relapsed on meth. What had tipped them off was when the son had started blasting both trash metal and porn on max volume from his bedroom and locked himself in. Communication with the kid was impossible with the noise. However, the officer's partner had been able to glance into the kid's window and can see that he was sitting motionless in front of his computer. He was shirtless, but otherwise everything else looked rather normal. With permission from his parents, the officers decide to push through the lock. Moans and groans and relentless guitar deafened the ears. The only light illuminating the room was the bluish hue of the computer monitor. The kid's face was a distorted grin, stretching to his lips' furthest limits. He wasn't shirtless. He was in fact naked and drenched in sweat, and in his right hand, cupped like a chalice for his testicles, which he had ripped off in a flurry of drug-induced self-mutilation. My best friend was an officer for about five years, and this was his worst or best story. He received a call from dispatch for a welfare check, and when he got to the home, of course there was no response. He mentioned a pugnant smell of death as he stepped foot in the door, knowing damn well this wasn't going to be good. After regrouping himself from the smell, He began to walk down this long hallway where he assumed the smell was coming from. He was halfway down the hall when he noticed blood everywhere in the next room. We are talking floor to ceiling. As he turned the corner into that room, he saw a little ankle biter laying there chewing on something and didn't really think much of it. He then panned the room for a second before he noticed a guy laying in a recliner holding onto a shotgun, pointed at his mouth. This guy had literally blown his brains out, had half a head, and his dog was chewing on a piece of the skull and face. The smell was so awful due to the fact that this guy was sitting in his house with no AC in the middle of the summer heat for three days. Talk about a fun start to your day. My dad was a cop for 32 years. This was one of his craziest calls. A call goes out for reported screaming. It's mid-January. That'll be important later. My father and another officer responded to find a known deranged individual. Very long rap sheet and has been in and out of psychiatric care for years. Sitting on the front porch, holding a double-sided wood splitting axe. Steam is coming up off the grass, and there are chunks lying all over the lawn. Upon interviewing the suspect, he admits that he and a friend were playing poker. The suspect was losing nearly every hand, 
and came to the conclusion that his friend was a haint, southern for ghost, and was cheating him. The suspect grabbed the axe and chased his friend outside and hacked him into dozens of pieces, thus causing the warm blood to create steam on the grass. My dad tells the suspect that he needs to get in the police car because it's haint proof. He said the suspect dropped the axe and sprinted to get in the back seat while thanking them for helping him. When I was six, which was 28 years ago, my mom and dad took me and my younger sister to an MLB game, leaving my grandmother to babysit my youngest sister. When we got back, my grandmother told my folks that two guys had come by the house with photography equipment and asked whether a young girl with red curly hair lived there and that they had spotted her and that she would be a great child model for some advertising work they were doing. When my grandmother said she wasn't home, they said they would come back another time. My grandmother and mom didn't think much about it, but my dad said, something's not right here, and called the police. Fifteen minutes later, several FBI agents showed up and began conducting interviews with my grandmother and my parents while I ran around and showed the agents my matchbox police helicopter. Turns out, we had been targeted by a child theft ring. The photographers would take a bunch of photos and wait until the toddler threw a tantrum, and then the photographers would ask the mother to go grab a toy to keep the child entertained. While the mother was out of the room, they would grab the child and bolt, leaving everything else behind. The FBI told my folks that my sister had already been sold and would have been out of the county within 24 hours if they got a hold of her. We were advised to change preschools and other aspects of our daily routine. It still gives me chills to think about what could have happened to her. Needless to say, Mom became pretty overprotective it was a few years before she even trusted us with a babysitter. I am interning with a sheriff's police department, so most of my time is spent on patrol. We got called out to do a wellness check, which the deputy thought was going to be a piece of cake like she was out of town or something. We get there and are met by the neighbors, who told us that the mail is piling up in the mailbox and that there are several untouched packages on the porch. All right, so we go up to the house and the front door is unsecured, so we crack open the door a couple of inches and the deputy calls inside, but the door won't move anymore. The house was one of those split houses where the stairs meet at the front door and the upstairs and downstairs are offset, so we concluded that there might be stuff behind the door. It's about this time that the deputy tells me that she is a known hoarder 
and that could be why the door was stuck. He also mentioned that if we see flies on the inside of the windows, she is most likely inside and deceased. As we walk around the side of the house, we noticed a lot of flies on the windows. The back door was locked, and as we looked in, we noticed bags on bags of garbage diapers and miscellaneous shit all over the place. We head back to the front and attempt to make entry. He pushes the door open, this time with more force, and from underneath, I see a grease-like liquid spreading out from under the door. The deputy stops, closes the door, and calmly tells me that the lady was indeed dead and wedged behind the door. From the dates of the packages, we concluded that she had been gone about two months. Once we did make entry into the house, I was allowed inside. After two months, she didn't even look like a human corpse. Her skin and body had sagged and melted to the floor, and her face... Oh God, her face was all black and had been eaten to the bone by maggots. I'll never forget the smell when the coroners moved her and she popped. It was like a physical presence. Whatever those people get paid to deal with that shit, it's not enough. The thing that really got to me, though, was wondering if she had fallen down the stairs and died there, or if she fell and was unable to move and waited for help that could never come. Alright, I'm taking this law class. My professor brings in a cop to talk about points of law. At one point, the cop shows the class a picture of a man who committed suicide by gun. Can you see what color his eyes are? He asks. Of course, no one can. And after some dumb stares, the cop says, Blue. One blue this way, the other blue that way. The whole class groans and I raise my hand. Obviously, you have thicker skin about this story of things than we do. Have you ever seen anything that got to you? The cop got serious looking and then told us this story. A local family, two brothers, both young. Every Saturday morning, the elder brother would get up early and make toast, and both he and his younger brother would sit in front of the TV munch some toast and watch Saturday morning cartoons. This one Saturday, the elder brother didn't want to get up and make toast, so the younger brother decided to try it himself. He apparently went into the kitchen, put the bread in, and pulled the switch down. He didn't notice how close the toaster was to the kitchen window curtains. To make a long story short, the house caught fire, and the parents barely made it out alive with the oldest son. By the time the police officer arrived, the younger boy had died. He burned to death in the living room. The officer said he must have set the toaster and went into the living room to watch TV and wait for his older brother to wake up and join him. The officer said the window nearby had collapsed from the heat and melted around the little boy. The cop said he had two boys about their age at that time said he had to excuse himself from the scene, went to a squad car, and couldn't stop crying and shaking. 
As the cop told the story, in class, he started crying again. So yeah, that's my crazy sad cop story. I made a cop cry in front of the entire class. I used to be a policeman, and this story is burned into my head. Probably for the rest of my life. I got called out to a caravan park. Lady could be heard screaming in one of the caravans the whole day, but we only got a call that night. I turned up to the address with my partner, and a huge friendly man comes to the door. He was towering over me and completely blocked the entrance to the caravan, so I couldn't see past him. I said to him that there had been complaints of a woman screaming from this address, and he told me that his missus and him had been arguing about something getting stolen from outside their caravan, which was her fault. Total bullshit story. He was the friendliest man, and so nice to deal with. Unfortunately, I wasn't going to leave without checking on the female as we have to make sure all parties are safe before leaving. He was hesitant at first, but then moves out of the doorway, and I see her sitting on the bed, covered head to toe in clothing and huge sunglasses, which was odd because it was nighttime. Possibility of drugs, but I doubted it. I asked if she was okay, and she nodded her head. She wouldn't remove her glasses for me, and I wasn't allowed to make her so I gave them a warning about the arguing and told them to keep it down. I was still unhappy with the situation as I didn't have enough evidence to make an arrest, so I decided to go next door and ask if they had seen anything. The neighbors told me the woman is covered in bruises and I need to get her to safety. They agreed to be a witness and make statements, so I was happy with the evidence of an arrest. I go back to the caravan and arrest the man and put him in the back of my car. I then go over to the woman, who immediately collapsed when standing up. We help her back onto the bed, and she starts removing the clothes and glasses. She's covered in bruises. Her face is swollen with black eyes. She has fresh blowtorch burns to her legs and stomach. Huge holes all over her body from a screwdriver that were infected. I've never seen anything like it. The woman was tied up in that stupid little caravan for weeks, being tortured for every minute she was awake. The thing that got me, though, was how nice this monster of a human was. You just don't know anything about anyone until it's too late. We put this away for life without bail. We got her help, a new place to live in a recovery house for domestic violence victims, and she's doing very well. The saddest part of this whole story, the female is still in love with him and asks if she will ever see him again. I don't know. I don't think she understands the concept of love versus brainwashed. My uncle was the sheriff of a small town in New Mexico. 
He was the most hardcore person in our family. Super straight-laced. Never really bullshitted and wasn't at all a joker. So when he told the story, backed up by my aunt, we all believed it without question. A local reporter named Bob D. would always show up at any major police activity from the police scanner. Big car wrecks, fires, anything worth maybe reporting in the local paper. Everybody on the force knew Bob D. He was around at least once or twice a week at various police activities. Bob was a bit of a joker himself. He would mess with people by flicking behind their ears. People would react to the flicks thinking it was a bug only to turn around and see it was Bob jerking around. Everybody liked Bob. Unfortunately, Bob had bad lung cancer and died pretty suddenly. His wife buried him, against his wishes because he wanted to be cremated. For the next couple of weeks after his funeral, people kept talking about seeing Bob at car wrecks, fires, all the same stuff he used to report on. There were 20 to 30 reports like this from civilians and members of the force. My uncle didn't buy it. Well, up until the night he and my aunt showed up at our house, gun drawn, pale as paper. We asked him what the hell happened, and he had to sit down, take a breath, compose himself, and start to outline what happened. Note, this is a guy that I never saw get rattled by anything. He said... My aunt and he were sitting on the couch in their house watching TV. My uncle kept scratching at his ear over and over. Finally, my aunt asked him what the problem was, and he turned around just in time to see their bedroom door open. Bob D. standing there in the doorway. Clear as day. My uncle jumped up, cussed or something, got my aunt's attention to turn to see him there too. As soon as they both made eye contact with him, Bob smiled, turned, walked across the living room and out their front door, closed the door behind himself and disappeared. My uncle got control of himself and ran outside, gun drawn looking for Bob, but he was gone. At that point, they ran over to our place. We went over there and didn't see anything, but my aunt and uncle stayed at our place that night. At work the next day, all the guys on the force were giving my uncle lots of, we told you so. People around town said they saw Bob D show up at police scenes for at least another two to three months. My dad saw him in our dark room in our basement with a friend. He was flicking their ears in the dark, During the third month, people that saw him kept saying he was looking worse and worse. My uncle saw him two more times, each time confirming he was looking more and more worn. My dad had concluded that he was decomposing, and his ghost was reflecting that process. Every time my ear itches, I get goosebumps. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. 
The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Hi. This story was told to me by my father, who was a retired policeman of 30 years. This story took place in a small coastal town in northeast England. I would like to add that my father is an atheist and is very much a tough, logical, and straightforward chap. A call came in from a panicked middle-aged lady that there was an intruder in her house and was at that time upstairs in her home. It was mid-afternoon, can't remember what time of year, and she was hiding somewhere downstairs. The police respond quickly and my father and his partner arrive on the scene. As backup is on its way, they enter the home quickly and simply by kicking the front door in, rushing into the house shouting, Police! Police! As they storm in, the lady runs up to my father and his partner runs upstairs to check the rooms. My father calms the lady down, and his partner returns, unable to find any trace of anyone or anything. Nothing has been ransacked, and there are no forced windows. The house is a semi-detached house, and has a very simple layout, with the main stairs directly in front of you as you enter the home. As my father and his partner try and talk to the hysteric lady... They suddenly hear someone running up the stairs very loudly. My father's partner races up the stairs with my father hot on his heels. They hear the back bedroom door slam, but as they burst into the room, they find it completely empty, with a punching bag gently swaying in the corner. No open window. No one running through the garden. This person basically vanished. Upon heading back downstairs, completely bewildered, the lady bursts into tears and comes clean. She claims that she knew there was no intruder and that she believes her house is haunted. She has been so terrified by the poltergeist activity in her home that she didn't know what to do and that day had called the police for comfort and help. She was really desperate 
I have no idea how the case was wrapped up, but my father and his friend have been baffled ever since by this entire experience. I think my father chalks it up to a breeze or draft and a crazy lady, but he just can't quite explain it away. What are your thoughts? Oh, by the way, just to add that it was me who threw the word crazy in there at the end. After speaking to my dad, he did feel rather sympathetic towards the lady, and for him, he just thought she really needed some help. She may even have received some assistance after the incident, but my dad can't be certain for sure. Forewarning, dear listeners, this next story is a little wild. Listening discretion is advised. I was a fresh officer with dreams being a hero. I get dispatched to a call of a family fight. Not wife-husband, but brother-sister. The female was reporting the guy had attacked her. I arrived and located a guy and a girl. The guy I knew from prior contacts. I detained him in handcuffs and quickly smelled the strong odor of pepper spray. I found out that after the guy knocked off the girl's weave, she pepper sprayed him. I knew there were different types of pepper spray like gel. I'm walking around the house taking photos for my investigation and assessing the property damage. I noticed that in his room, the odor from the pepper spray was extremely strong and made my eyes instantly water with a decent amount of stinging sensation. The fumes made it incredibly hard to breathe and left me without the ability to breathe at points, requiring that I leave the room to get fresh air. I find a brownish gel substance all over the walls in the shape of handprints. I photograph it and determine that it was the pepper spray gel that Guy's subject was wiping off of his face onto the wall. I found it odd that it was all over the walls and covered the room. I thought this chick dusted him with the entire can of pepper gel. After some investigation, I took the guy to jail. I responded to the same house several days after for an unrelated medical issue. There were more family members at the house and the guy was still in custody. I was having a conversation with the family as the hero firefighters were saving the day. I inquired if they had fully cleaned up the pepper spray from the guy's room. They gave me a strange look and told me there was none in there. I told them about the gel that was on the wall. I then sat there in horror as they explained to me this man had been, for years, ejaculating on his walls and playing with it. And the gel was in fact old ejaculate. And the fumes were the pugnant smell of this man's ejaculate. My f- God. When I finally got back to the station, I took the rest of the day off and went home and took the hottest shower I think I could have ever tolerated.
Okay, so not a cop, but I know a lot about the case and know some people who discovered it. In my city, at the Travel Lodge on the main commercial street, a few people who met on some dating site or Craigslist or something ended up ritually killing themselves inside one of the rooms. According to the police report, the two people who found it weren't the actual cops, but rather the next-door occupants. They heard a commotion and looked out their door, only to find blood coming through the door like it was the f- shining. They walked in to investigate and found the two mangled bodies of the two women who found each other and the barely living body of the guy who found them both. As he told it, they were supposed to let him kill them both for the glory of Satan or some shit like that. Then he would kill himself. The crime scene was so gruesome and traumatic that several police officers and paramedics and nurses who treated the guy were all later treated for post-traumatic stress. And the incident has led the way for a movement calling for having PTSD therapy for first responders. Not to mention, in another comment, an Air Force major who, get this, was in charge of the local cadet corps was found with a massive multi-terabyte storage of CP on his computers. I was in cadets for a few years a while back, meaning the army, and the commanding officer of our air sister corps was caught with CP. This guy was a major, and he was in charge of a hundred children on a weekly basis. I was told he later hung himself in order to escape prosecution. Funny story, I was on a school field trip, and our bus driver wore a bomber jacket with Royal Canadian Air Cadet Corps crested on it. I sparked up a conversation with him, and as it turns out, it was Major Pedo's direct successor. One thing led to another, and we got on the conversation about the Major pedophile and how the corpse reacted. Believe it or not, but as it turns out, taking over the air cadet corpse from someone like that isn't as hard as one would expect, apparently. The cop who found it, coincidentally the mother of one of the air cadets in the corpse, called it the most disgusting thing she has seen in all her years of service. No wonder that Major Pedo decided to call it quits. Safe to say it, but my town of less than 200,000 people is quite the little fuck up. Mind you, I haven't even mentioned being the meth and crack and heroin per capita capital of Ontario. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. Oh, Christ. So, we get a call to do a welfare check. Someone called the station house because they haven't heard from their mom and could we pretty please swing by to check on her? Fine. We get to the apartment building, knock on the door, and when there's inevitably no answer, we grab the super to open the door for us. The first sign that things were going terribly wrong was that the chain was still on the door. The second was the god-awful stench coming from the place that told us there was something dead inside. 
As before, it's dark in there, and none of the lights worked, because they had burned out in the time the poor lady was sitting there. We found her on the couch. Positive Q sign. Hang your tongue out of your mouth like your dad and you get the idea. And smelled of beginning stages of decomposition. So it's the DOA, the cops in the living room, and the super standing in the doorway of his dark apartment. And we obviously have our flashlights trained on the guest of honor. At this point, the dead person raises a hand to her eyes in a very zombie fashion and says, Exactly like that. So, totally a zombie, right? Having seen enough, we, again, run out of there like we've, well, seen a ghost. The super, who's not privy to the rise of the living dead, sees two six-foot-three cops thundering down the hallway at him, and figures this is his cue to get moving, too. Sadly for him, we overtake him and his stubby little legs and leave him to be died upon by the zombie. Survival of the fittest and all, right? We got down to the next flight before we figured out that even if it was a zombie, it was an old lady, one, and we could probably kick its ass. We went back into the apartment and called an ambulance for her. She apparently had a stroke alone in the apartment and sat there for a few days. The hand and vocalizations were really what was left of her brain responding to stimulus. We went by the hospital the next day before work to check on her, but she was too far gone. All right, dear listeners, from here on out, I will actually be reading stories directly from a policeman's mouth instead of in story form. Here we go. The Disturbance That Wasn't Not my story, but a good friend of mine was the youngest recruit to pass police training, etc., in the area for a long time. At 19, he was fresh onto the service. I went for a pint with him a week later, and you could tell he'd seen things, so I asked him what it was like. He told me about this one where they were called to a domestic. They got to the house and opened the door. Instantly, a whole load of sewer rats, not pet rats, flooded out, and there was no one home. The lights were on, the TV was on, quiet, and the loud voices they heard arguing were just gone. The only life in the house were the rats that ran out. They searched the house, every nook and cranny, and found no one. He and his partner for the evening stayed around a while and waited to see if anyone came home. But after a few hours, no one came. The neighbors couldn't explain it, so they left. A few minutes later, they got called to the same address again by a different person, stating there's a pretty heated domestic going on. This time, they brought the dog squad to find people. But again, the house was deserted. He said the freakiest thing was that the toilet had blatantly just been flushed when they got there as the cistern was feeling, and the kettle was now boiling. The dogs found nothing as well. To this day, he doesn't know what the fuck. 
went on. Dispatch gets a call from an older couple, reporting there's a man standing in their backyard. It's later in the evening, and obviously the older couple is freaked out a bit. Several officers showed up, including my friend, who was a cop, and split into two groups heading around either side of the house. As they emerge in the backyard, guns drawn, they see the suspect and promptly order him to get on the ground, face first, hands behind his head. As they draw closer, he's not responding, and they realize he hasn't moved at all. Rewind two hours. The suspect had robbed his 7-Eleven or something like that down the road and taken off on foot. As he entered the neighborhood, he tried to cut through this older couple's backyard. When he went to hop the fence in the back, he slipped and impaled himself on a fence post. He couldn't pull himself off it, and his own body weight slowly drove him down the post. It had entered at his groin and went straight up to his shoulder. He was literally a human scarecrow. This one time I went out on a call of a suspicious person at a house near where I was at. When I get there, the guy tells me that someone knocked on his door, and when he went to see who it was, there was a woman standing in his driveway with some sort of child-sized doll with horns, and it looked all bloody and cut up. So, he asked the woman, who was looking away from him, what she wanted. She turned around and told him, it needs food, then started screaming at the top of her lungs and ran at him. So, like a normal human being, he slammed the door in her face and called the cops. I get there, and there are well-defined claw marks on his door. There's also a good bit of blood, I suppose from her fingers. So, I called it out and start the search on foot. I also had two or three units driving around the area to see if they could find this chick. So, I'm about a block away and we get another call that the woman is back at the guy's house, but in the backyard. So I run about a block back to the guy's house and bust into his backyard. The lights are out, so I have my flashlight out, and I'm looking around. I see the chick huddled in the corner next to a evil-looking doll thing, and I ask her if she's okay. She doesn't say anything. About this time... One of my mobile units came back to the house and parked his unit where the headlights were shining on her so we could see how scary this chick looked. She had long black hair. Her clothes were rags. She had no shoes, clearly homeless, and she kept whispering things to the doll. So my buddy and I approached and tried talking to her and she just kept whispering to the doll couldn't understand what the hell she was saying so we decided to drag her out of there the second we put hands on this chick she went berserk punching kicking slapping all kinds of shit so we're fighting with her trying to get her on the ground and she's not going down this chick was strong as hell well 
In the fight, she somehow got away from us and was sitting in a crouched position, with her head tilted to the side and making the creepiest growl and snarling sound I've ever heard. Then she screamed at the top of her lungs and charged at us. So my buddy straight jabbed her in the face and knocked her clean out. We cuffed her and hauled her off to the hospital, where she was tested positive for PCP and various opiates. She was charged with battery of a peace officer, resisting arrest and trespassing. Later, she was institutionalized for some sort of mental disorder, not quite sure what it was. My department didn't have anything more to do with her after booking her into the jail. My old roommate's dad was a former naval officer and then FBI agent, 20 years in the Navy and 12 to 15 years or so in the FBI. One of his strangest stories was from his FBI days. I'll just paraphrase it. A kidnapping case. This girl disappeared from her grandparents' RV sometime between like 5 p.m. and midnight. They were up front. Next thing they know, she's gone. She was supposed to be sleeping in the back. One stop at a rest stop. Then they were in stop-and-go traffic, so they figured she must have popped out the door at some point. This is near the California-Nevada border. So we meet them, talk to them. This is within about a day or so when the girl's still missing. No sign of her. She was 15. Local PD theory is she ran off because she's 15 and wants to get away from her lame grandparents for the summer. But there's a busted window, glass inside the vehicle, so we're treating it as a possible kidnapped person. After a few hours, there's a couple different theories on the case. One is that she ran off. Another, that she got snatched. Nobody's seen the girl in almost two days now, and disappearing in the desert for a young girl is tough. Next thing you know, we get a phone call. Naked girl, lost and confused, picked up by some trucker on a two-lane road out there called Nipton. Runs into I-15 between Barstow and Vegas somewhere. Right next to the border. Matches our description. Me and three other guys held out there to meet with the sheriff, who's got her. Turns out she's our girl. She's fine. No SA, no bruises, no exposure, nothing. Completely healthy, completely fine. Even clean like she took a shower. Won't tell us a damn thing. Doesn't remember a damn thing. According to her, one minute she's in the RV. The next she's naked walking down the side of the road in a hundred degree heat. We talked to her for two hours while her grandparents headed out to pick her up. We had our social services lady talk to her. Nothing. I've seen people hiding things. She wasn't hiding anything. She honestly just didn't remember. Damnedest thing. Anyway, girl was found, she was fine, so we turned it back over to local PD to figure out what happened and determine if charges were pressed at all. I kept in touch with a guy I knew there because I was curious and we were in a fantasy football league. A few months later, he tells me the parents sent the girl to a therapist to look for 
repressed memories to make sure she wasn't essayed or something. Therapist says she seems fine, but honestly has no recollection of her time at all, and doesn't think there's any point to delving much further since she has no symptoms, and is largely more confused by the reaction than the event. So, to this day, we've got a busted RV window with glass on the inside, likely from a moving RV on a jam-packed freeway, likely in broad or lightly fading sunlight, with zero witnesses. A 15-year-old girl gets out, or is taken, and is taken somewhere safe nearby for almost two days, and then is stripped naked, without being touched sexually, cleaned up, and deposited on the side of a separate road a few miles away. She didn't have any drugs in her system that we could detect. She remembers nothing at all. Nobody knows what happened to her clothes or anything. Been almost 20 years since this happened, and I can't figure out what the hell went on with that girl. It still bugs me at night that I have no way to explain it aside from she lied the whole time. But I know liars, and I'd bet money she wasn't lying at all. I'm from the UK here. Not a policeman, but my brother is, and I heard the story from him. Though it was all over the local news as well, just without the gore. He wasn't the attending officer on the case, but arrived on the scene as the bodies were being moved. I actually passed the scene on my way to work the day it happened as well, though at that time the wreck was being hauled away. So, just the fine details are third party, in effect. It's a rather gruesome story, so listen at your own risk. A few years back in our local town, a couple of joyriders had stolen a car. The police gave chase but had to pull back due to the speeds involved. They got clocked at 130 miles per hour through a residential area. The obvious happened, and about three miles from where the police fell back, they managed to hit a wall or lamppost or something and killed themselves instantly. Upon arriving at the scene, the attending officer discovered the driver's lower legs and feet had been pushed up due to the impact, and his shin bone had gone through his jaw and up through his skull. Apparently, it looked like he had a foot attached to his chin. The passenger, however, looked untouched and seemed to be unconscious. Until they tried to move him and discovered most of the bones in his body had been shattered. He sort of folded backwards when the officer tried to pull him out for first aid. He then started to compress, squish, and implode into himself in the car seat. Warning, this story is very disturbing. I live in a fairly small town, My dad was a cop for 10 years or so. My aunt works in the ER going on 11 years now, and at the time of this story, one of my best friend's brother-in-law was an EMT. They are all involved in this sick tale. There was a call about a domestic dispute, then a 911 call from the same address from a woman who was just screaming and then cut off. Of course, they sent all available units immediately. After a few officers had showed up, 
They reported the situation back, and the chief decided no female officers or EMT should be allowed near the scene. It turned out a Hispanic man was on drugs and had freaked out on his girlfriend, accusing her of cheating. He beat the shit out of her, broke several bones. He decided their three-month-old baby wasn't his, picked up the infant by his feet, and gutted him with a box cutter. When the cops showed up, he was beating on his girlfriend with a kitchen utensil while she huddled over the baby, trying to shield him with her own body. They got him subdued, rushed the baby to the ER, tended to the wife in the ambulance out front, and sewed up several cuts of the man in the kitchen. The EMT tending to him was my father's brother-in-law. The man was still high, but coming down and saying a lot of disgusting things about his girlfriend. The EMT slammed his head into the refrigerator, warning him to stop talking. A sergeant was in the room, saw this, and gave the EMT an approving nod. A few minutes later, the sergeant got fed up with the man's clearly unapologetic words and said, Do you hear that woman crying? She trusted you to take care of her, loved you enough to give you a son, and look what you've done to them. She didn't cheat. You never let her leave the house, so how could she? That little boy is your son. You could have been a father to him and raised him to be a great man. Now you've taken that child's life. That woman, who loved you so much, is out there weeping because she has just lost her son and her boyfriend. Don't you care at all? The man then said that if that baby didn't want him to kill it, then it should have died before it was born, and that the woman deserved it because she was a dumb bitch, cheating or not. And then the sergeant shot the guy in the foot. My father witnessed all of this, and later had to testify. My aunt said in the ER the baby was laying there, and his intestines were literally laying next to him on the gurney, outside his body. Every single person who worked on that baby requested therapy afterwards. The mother had some pretty bad internal bleeding, but my aunt said the most disturbing thing was hearing her scream for her baby. She said in all her years in the ER, she's never heard anyone scream like that. The mom and the baby actually both lived, but the baby had some serious brain damage because he didn't get enough oxygen to the brain because of the punctured lung. The man is in prison. I know he got drug charges, weapon charges. Unregistered guns were found in the home, as well as more drugs. Domestic battery, attempted murder, and a few others I'm not sure of. I do know he has no possibility of parole and a long sentence, but I'm not sure how long the sentence turned out to be. The sergeant and EMT were both fired. That was the hearing my dad had to testify in, among other officers and EMTs. And lastly, dear listeners, these are police officers share six skin-crawling stories that show what they have to go through almost every day. Enjoy. Number one, car crash. In my 10 years, I've responded to probably thousands of car crashes and road accidents. Most are very minor, or even if they look bad, have no injuries or minor injuries only. Cars are designed to basically fall apart, to absorb impacts, and they do their job well. But 
Sometimes it doesn't matter speed, seatbelt use, or other factors cause it to be a fatal accident. Probably the worst crash I've responded to, for me at least, involved two pedestrians, a mother and her, I think, six-year-old daughter, maybe five. The car driver was actually doing everything right, for once. He was going about the speed limit, 45 miles per hour. Had the right-of-way, everything. Unfortunately, this dumb, drunk bitch had decided at about 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. that she wasn't drunk enough. So, she takes her small child with her to the gas station to get a 40, then proceeded to lead the child across the street into oncoming traffic because she was so drunk she couldn't process it. The daughter, trusting her mother completely, stepped out into the road with the mom. Mom sustained a minor injury, broken leg I think. The little girl was killed unfortunately. Knocked about 30 feet through the air and landed in the roadway. I feel lucky that I wasn't the first officer on scene. Two of our guys left work early that night to go home and decompress. I'll always remember this crash. Seeing that little girl laid out on the road with EMS, fire, and police surrounding her trying their best to help. There were a lot of tears from first responders. I've probably never seen so many crying at a scene in public before, or since. Number 2. Crime Scenes Everyone knows why we all become cops. Drive fast and shoot shit, right? Well, that's not the real story. At least for all the cops I know. But I'd be lying if I said driving fast wasn't fun. When a hot call comes out, we all want to be there first to help and do what we can to catch the bad guy. But once you're on scene, you often spend the next several hours maintaining the crime scene for detectives if it's a homicide or serious shooting. Where I work, the vast majority of our homicides are gang and drug related, even if officially we don't label them gang related. Makes the city look bad. The movies and TV shows that depict cops overcome with emotion at the sight of a shooting victim are largely fictitious. I've been on dozens of homicides and I've yet to see any officer cry or even be really concerned, honestly. It's harsh, but true. Generally, these victims are a result of their lifestyle choices to be in a gang or other criminal enterprise, and we consider it the cost of doing business. It's not that we're shallow. We just can't get emotional because someone was a gang member who robbed people and they got taken out by a rival. Crime scene management is a serious and difficult job, though. Family and friends often went to see the victim. We tried to be compassionate to those people. It's not their fault their son sold drugs and robbed people. But sometimes we've got to be hard with them and threaten to arrest them if they keep trying to cross the barrier. It doesn't make them like us, but it ensures the sanctity of evidence and helps us to try and find a suspect and successfully arrest them. Number three, heroin overdose. Heroin overdoses are a huge problem. 
I think we've had about 300 in my city and like 40 to 60 fatal overdoses. Narcan is a great tool and also part of the problem though. Users aren't as careful about the doses they're taking as they used to be because they know they'll be safe by Narcan. And, even more frustrating after they're resuscitated, they most often refuse to go to the hospital. Why? Well, Narcan wears off after a while, then they get high off the heroin still in their system. I don't know what the solution is, but I've long since stopped feeling any sympathy for an addict who has plenty of resources and tools to help them and refuses. I'd rather we devoted those resources and money to helping actual innocents, like kids who need EpiPens or diabetics or cancer patients. It's callous and people often say users are people too, and that is true. But when you're given multiple chances to get help and refuse at a certain point, I feel like you reap what you sow. We had one guy overdose almost every day for two weeks before finally dying. We had a pregnant woman overdose then get mad when we took out involuntary commitment papers on her to try and keep her unborn child safe. I feel bad for the family members, but I don't feel bad for the users anymore. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Number four, driving under the influence. DWI and DUIs, terminology varies on what state or country you're in probably, are some of the most frustrating investigations we do in my department. Don't get me wrong, getting a drunk off the road is always worth it, but it's frustrating because the law gives drunks so many protections. I can arrest someone with a kilo of cocaine and do less paperwork. DWIs take forever from the initial stop, standardized field sobriety tests, to the breathalyzer test. It's often hard to find a certified chemical analysis to run the machine at my department. My favorite DWI arrest involved a concerned citizen calling about a vehicle weaving all over the roadway. I managed to catch up and made an independent observation of their driving. Pretty damn bad before initiating a stop because it firmly establishes reasonable suspicion, the threshold of a traffic stop. Actually, I had probable cause at this point, which is a higher standard for arrest. It made it so my case wasn't reliant on a citizen coming to court. The driver rode the curb and even hit a mailbox with their mirror before stopping. When I walked up, I asked where they were coming from. After explaining, I stopped them for their poor driving skills. They were coming from the dollar store at 4 a.m. I happened to know they closed at 10 p.m. The driver absolutely reeked of beer. It was almost painfully strong. So I get her out of the car and immediately she urinated on herself and didn't notice. Me and every other officer on scene 
at this point about four because we'd all been trying to catch up to this car before she killed someone. Notice because it was winter and wet pants began steaming in the cold. I asked if she had anything to drink or any medication tonight and she said no. She was wobbling as she stood barely able to stand up. I asked, so you're telling me right now this is your normal condition? This is just how you are? We began some tests, the horizontal gaze nystagmus, or HGN, one leg stand and walk and turn. The walk and turn was a bust. She was all over the place, unable to keep a straight line or count right. But the one leg stand was even better. She started to slowly raise one foot. I noticed her leaning forward dangerously and said, Just put the foot down. I don't want you to fall. But it was too late. She leaned slowly forward. Slowly. Gradually, she bent, placed both hands on the ground, continued tipping until her forehead was on the ground. Then she fell over onto her side and slowly got back up. At that point, we took her to jail and she was given an opportunity to do the breathalyzer. I forgot her results off the top of my head. While at the jail, she continued to urinate on herself so much, without even realizing it, that her pants and shoes were soaked. She was leaving footprints on the floor. I'm sure the jailers loved having to clean that up. Number 5. Breaking Down the Door It's surprising the number of people who say they know their rights, but they really don't. People think that until they're under arrest, they're free to go. They think the house is sacrosanct and we can't enter without a warrant, ever. At the end of the day, if I've got probable cause to believe there's a victim in need of assistance in your house, I can come in. An officer I work with responded to a fight call a while ago. He heard the fight inside, knocked, announced his presence, knocked again, nothing. Finally, he kicked the door open, and he and another officer go upstairs to find two adult brothers in an all-out brawl. Both were arrested for assault, and in my state, since they're family, it's domestic, so they couldn't be released until they saw a judge the next day. Luckily, the family understood why we broke down their door, and they were actually thankful we did so we could stop the fight before someone got really hurt. It's important to know your rights, but make sure you know the actual rights, not what some street lawyer or Facebook lawyer tells you. Number 6 Tasers. Tasers are an amazing tool. They prevent injuries to offenders and officers by quickly stopping violent resistance. They are not a magic tool that makes a deadly weapon in the hands of a suspect, suddenly not deadly. If someone's armed with a gun, I'm pulling a gun. If someone's armed with a knife, I'm pulling a gun. The reason is that a taser only has a 21-foot range and at maximum range, odds of hitting a moving target aren't optimum. If you miss, you turn it off, remove the cartridge, load another, turn back on, aim, and fire. If someone's coming at you with a knife, well, you're pretty much 
you are most likely getting cut. How bad depends on luck at that point. Now, if there are multiple officers and one wants to go less lethal and use a taser, that's great. But I actually have a friend who thinks the legal expectation should be that I allow myself to get stabbed before using lethal force. I have used a taser multiple times. It's highly effective. The great thing is, the bigger and more muscular the offender, the better it works. Because all those muscles get hit with electricity and lock up. Outside a club years ago, some drunk guys were arguing and threatening each other. It got to the point where, to prevent violence, we had to arrest one for being intoxicated and disruptive behavior. Now, I'm average-sized. I grabbed the guy's wrist, and it was probably the size of my forearm. He pulled away, not really aggressively, but almost like a bull would turn to see what was biting him if a fly landed on it. I went with him. At that point, a squad mate hit him with the taser. We were really close, which usually means the taser probes won't get much spread and more spread equals more disruption of the muscles due to the electrical charge. However, as luck would have it, the guy had one hand up, so one probe hit his left nipple, the other his right pinky. Down went the giant. I've never seen a grown man cry so much in my life. Not from the pain, really. He was just drunk. The taser definitely prevented injuries to officers. If we'd had to fight that guy, at least one of us would have been sent to the hospital. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true disturbing police horror stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or 